What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? How you doing? How you feeling? This is your baby, your doll, your whatever. This is Carmine Davis, and you are listening to the Carmine Davis Show. How was your week? Mine was surprisingly eventful. Um, it was pretty cool. I I saw an old friend in Midtown or whatever, so that was fun. Um, but this is like the slowest week I've had since the quarantine, since we got let out and bust out or whatever. But what are you doing? What do I want to talk about? I want to jump right into it. Um, before I jump into it, make sure you subscribe, follow, like this podcast, share it, do what you got to do. Keep it to yourself. I don't care. Just listen, follow, subscribe. I love you anyway. What do I want to talk about? Okay, so we all know about what's going on with Jada Pickett, August Asina, and Will Smith, Willow Smith, all of that stuff that's going on over there. I don't want to talk about it. I want to talk about something else. Something that's going on over there down at the Essence Magazine. Yes. Black-owned business, and we are in trouble, y'all. Essence Magazine releases another statement in response to the allegation, or allegations, however, that um, that they have a toxic work environment and that Black women staffers were subject to sexual harassment, pay inequity, and more. So if you don't know what's going on over there at Essence Magazine, I'm going to walk you through it with, of course... Lovebscott.com. Shout out to lovebscott.com. So basically, this has been going on for a couple of weeks now. Um, the parent company of Essence Magazine and the Essence Festival has um, responded to these claims that a lot of women there feel like um, they are getting paid Unequally, they are dealing with sexual harassment, workplace bullying, and intimidation. Those are pretty large um, accusations. They are calling a lot. The women in the group are calling for the immediate resignation of Richulu Dennis, owner and chief executive officer of Essence Ventures, which is Essence Communications, including Essence Magazines, Essence.com, and the Essence Festival. Michelle Ebanks, Essence Ventures board member and former Essence Communications CEO. Joy Collins, profit, chief operating officer. And Moana Liu, who is the chief content officer. In an essay shared along with a petition for Essence sponsors, including AT&T, Chase Bank, Coca-Cola, Ford, and Procter & Gamble. These are some of the biggest, as biggest names and sponsorships. They are asking for them to immediately divest all active and future sponsorships and media buys at Essence Communications. Essence leadership is being accused of fostering a toxic workplace culture on several different levels. And a quote, um, the allegations say black women who make up over 80% of Essence workforce are repeatedly suppressed with pay inequity, sexual harassment, workplace bullying, and intimidation. 
scores of talented black women have been either wrongfully laid off or forced to resign from the company in the past two years. Um, Richulu's Dennis's wife, Martha Dennis, is the parent company's Essence Ventures head of human resources. Wow. A blatant con that's a blatant conflict of interest. Martha is complicit on her husband's abuse of power and intimidation tactics. Leadership approved layoffs of black female staff recently returned from maternal leave. Other fem black female staff have been threatened with dismissal during a maternity leave and were not timely offered health care coverage in time for leave. Dennis has a history of sleeping with women under his employ. At Sundial, um, the owner of Shea Moisture, acquired by Unlever in 2017, black female staff at Essence have experienced sexual harassment by Dennis. Wow. Dennis tried that at his previous job, and now he's continuing it at Essence. Okay. So Dennis tried to force Essence employees and contractors to sign non-disclosure agreements that exclusively protects him and his family from liability or disparagement after a string of wrongful layoffs and other potentially libelous business activity. When staff raised questions about the NDA, the executive leadership team launched a series of intimidation tactics on its mostly black female staff. Mm. Essence is a publication for black women being accused of mistreating black women is definitely not a good look. So lately, um, that happened about a couple of weeks ago, but now they have issued a statement and they are not backing down from it. Um, Essence Magazine released another statement in response to the allegation. There is no doubt or questions about who we are, is what they say. Okay. Mm, I don't want to go into the whole thing because I feel like as someone who considers himself a young and growing business owner and someone who has worked for other people, it's pretty evident that, um, unfortunately, the time is now for these things to, to stop. I have a, I love Essence Magazine. I, I've seen it on my coffee table for years. Um, growing up, Ebony, Essence, they are the... And I, I, st I still want to be on the cover. I want that to be. <laughs> at. Let that be known first. I still want that cover, baby girl. But. Or baby boy. But I don't want to fuck to get it. And. Um, it seems like that's what Mr. Dennis is. And have. <laughs> having going on, going on over there. Okay, so Essence Communication, um, a, a magazine, it's, it's a magazine company. Uh, recently, um, you probably heard about Anna Wintour coming out and issuing an apology during the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, that how she wants more Black voices in the Vogue community. This is, this is, this whole, it's a magazine company, it's a business, and it's an entertainment industry, which is led often by the most salacious, most disgusting, most warped leaders in the world. Not just entertainment. Um, almost every job, every... This era is causing for people to hold their leaders accountable. I think there... Are, I think all of our issues that we have uh, that have been exposed, all the cracks 
um, are not not just by an in, 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 in the entertainment industry. I feel like the entertainment industry is such a um, it's a it's a small piece of what's going on. It's a, it's a example of the issues that we're having worldly. Our fucking president is a maniac. You know what I'm saying? Like it's so many businesses are ran by people who are mentally incapable and should not be leading anybody. They shouldn't be leading their anybody. They shouldn't be leading the trash cans at the end of the road, let alone a staff of over 800 women. And it's exhausting. I think we've allowed up until the, I think the quarantine and this COVID-19 thing has, people got the time now to think about, to analyze the things, the abuse that they've tolerated in their working conditions, the things that they've allowed to continue, the things that they've allowed to, you realize that the things that you've been dealing with are not okay. Your, your boss intimidating you is not just the way, it's just not just a job. You shouldn't have to come to your job and be intimidated to be sexually harassed, to be, uh, did you know that? You now, just now, legally were, up until the last couple of months, you were able to be fired because you were gay. They could just come in and be like, get your gay ass out of here. And there was nothing you could do about it. You had to get your gay shit and get the fuck out. Like, there's nothing that you could have done about it. And we never even thought about it. I think a lot of us just were trying to survive, go out and make it and come back home but that's not the way we should be especially these are the head you know mr um mr dennis and the rest of his um leaders probably are not not even passionate about what's going on at essence those people from the mail room up were proud to say they worked from Essence magazine. Could you imagine? I have a friend that work writes for essence.com and they talk about it like it's They're curing cancer over there. And they kind of are for the readers. I love reading Essence Magazine. Some of the most uplifting articles that I've ever read were from Essence.com writers. My my friend wrote really great articles there. So imagine you're going in every day with the spirit of your heart's in the right place. Your, Your job is aligned with your integrity and the leader of that wants to grab you by the pussy. You know what I'm saying? And it's time for that to stop uh, because you're the owner of anything. Doesn't mean that you can do what you want by the people around you. And it's time to hold people accountable. I think that's the, that's the ongoing theme here. Even at whether it's Essence Magazine, things are one, not all of what they seem. I've worked for companies that have <laughs> expressed their concern and they, they, they went through the motions, even with the Black Lives Matter movement and knowing I've worked there and my life didn't matter. They hire people, managers who are the, the biggest pieces of shit that you could ever meet in your whole entire life. And because they are 
they are taught that they are over you. They can ruin and make or break you. And they will. I've had some of my biggest rows with managers, whether it was um, at a job or even like entertainment. My previous, I had a manager five or six years ago, seven years ago now. Ruin tried to ruin my life because they could. (laughs) And that instead of becoming aligned with their company's messages and actually living and walking in their truth of what they were hired to do. They're some of the most mentally unstable people I've ever met in my life. And this man is no different. We all know what it's like to work for a company and you're not sure this motherfucker is screwed too tight. He's touching you and and texting you inappropriately. And there is not all the time a spoken understanding, but there's that understanding that he could crush you. She could crush you if you, you spoke out about it. That's your job. I think about all the people who have just quit jobs because they they had a case, but there were that pressure, that intimidation of working with them. And you're reading and you're, you're, you're producing a product that has uplifted so many people, but you can't even uplift the bitches that go and get your lunch. That's insane. I support Essence Magazine. Um, the If you want to read more about it and you want to actually read their statement, get your own little, your own viewpoint from it. It's in the description box. Click the link. Let me know what you think. Carmine Davis um, on Instagram, Twitter, um, Carmine Davis show on Instagram. Let me know what you think. Inbox me. Some people don't like posting their viewpoints. You can email me. I've had a couple of emails this last week about our previous show. This kind of does remind me of the Bill Cosby um, and his wife. Um, that crazy shit she said last week. Take a, if you haven't, if you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. But People think they can do whatever the fuck they want these days. And no, people have the time. We're not dealing with that shit. People are bonding together. They're not going to take it. (laughs) They're not taking that shit no more. We're airing it out. You have to treat your staff with respect. You know? As much as you can. Or have no... Try to keep your staff as limited as possible like I do. (laughs) I, I am a kind of... I'm not a mean boss, but... Um, I like to keep it real. So, but everybody in my corner seems to like that about me. And I like that about them when they're keeping it real with me. But I would never sexually harass anyone. I think that is so strange to me to assert force on someone that you work with. People who are, (laughs) I think that is so strange. Did you know he stepped down with Chulu Dennis? Steps down as CEO of Essence Communications amid all the allegations. So that's good. Uh, one thing they are doing is stepping the fuck down. Um, let's pray for what's going on over there. But I think a step down is kind of not always an admission of guilt. I feel like sometimes it's a skirt around an admission of guilt. He'll get another job. They'll probably move one of the women up. And she'll come and clean house. But anyway, let's keep it moving. Let's keep it trucking. 
you know what's next. We do an artist spotlight. And I honestly did not know for sure who I wanted to do until now. <laughs> but I want to keep the ball rolling on male R&B artists. And I just started just let's go ahead and do three of them. The men of next. Do y'all remember that? You know, too close, you know, wifey and my favorite butter love. Like, y'all remember next. RL. You remember RL. Oh, everybody's man crush. Let's talk about them. They had a crazy upbringing. And I want to talk about them because I was born and partly raised in South Bend, Indiana. But they were part, they were born in Gary, Indiana. So, like Michael Jackson. Three people from Indiana. I don't want to. Come on now. Now, um, next is an American R&B musical trio with the members um, Terry T. Lowe, Brown, Raphael Tweedy Brown, and Robert R.L. Hugger. Which, did you know that there were two brothers and R.L. was just actually just a friend of the group? That's really interesting to know. And they also were popular during the 1990s and the early 2000s, and they are best known for their number one hit single, Too Close, which became the most successful song of the 1998 in the United States. Did you know that? That was the biggest song in 1998, which makes more sense. Like, any party still to this day, you know, they still play it. So that's what's up. I did not know that about them. Now, as you might already know the story, they were church boys. Um, the brown boys were the grandchildren of deacons and they were raised in the church. They were in the gospel choir and they had to be there every single Sunday, every time it was open. You know, they were real church kids. But like a lot of church kids, um, they lost their disillusionment of the church and the refuge that it brought when, unfortunately, their living grandfather um, one of the boys saw their grandfather touching their mother inappropriately around the age of seven years old. He was a deacon and he was touching his daughter in an inappropriate manner. One of the boys were up and they saw it and it completely shattered his whole illusion of the church. Now, during this time, um, their mother was reacting to her abuse by abusing them, the, the brown boys, not RL, but the other two boys. And she would beat them, like literally like beat them like they she was training a dog. She would punch them in the face. She would come into the house, knock them down, drag them out, slap them with anything she could find, just randomly. They used to scream, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And she was so blind and, and full of rage, she would just have these fits and it started making sense. So after a while, the mother left and went to Minneapolis, Minnesota, took the boys to Minneapolis, Minnesota, where she remarried again after their father, got away from their grandfather, and it kind of opened up a fresh hell for the boys. They were not only just abused by their mother now and seeing the abuse that she dealt with from their grandfather but now their stepfather was abusing them to the point where it wasn't just physical violence. They would spend days to a month being locked up into the attic where they wouldn't be able to come out to do anything but eat and go to class. They would be locked up and not dealt with for days or months at a time. Girl, this is horrible. Isn't that bad? So when um, Tilo was 15 and Tweety was 12, they got kicked out of their house, y'all. And 
were forced to survive. They were out in Minneapolis the cold winter having to survive on their own being 15 and 12. So the oldest dropped out of school. He went and hustled to survive and to raise his little brother while his little brother, he made sure his brother did his work and all that, but he had to hustle to get them a shelter. Now on the other side of Minneapolis, um, Robert Lavelle Hugger, AKA Lavelle seemed to be living more of a sound life. His mother was a cosmetologist and his father was an engineer, but things weren't as great as they seemed over there either. His father worked a lot, but didn't really care for RL. RL was the youngest. He didn't have an interest in him. Uh, he was the youngest baby. RL was walking around here with this little guitar, singing Michael Jackson, and he didn't really understand him. He was a working man. RL was an artist, a little boy with all these emotions, and he didn't really care for him. Not having the support of his father made him a little bit unsure. And he said to this day, he still feels the effects of not having support from his father, which I relate to. I feel like I relate more to the RL story. He would hear all the time from his father how he wasn't shit. He wasn't going to be shit. He needs to go to work, get a regular job. He was 15 at this point. And one particular moment, he he was just keeping it in, keeping it in, keeping it in, keeping it in. And that was it. He said, I'm not about to have you tell me I ain't going to be shit anymore. So he went, got his mama's um, 38, went into the room and put it in his mouth and cried and said, that's going to be the last time y'all talk to me like that. His mother walked towards him, repeating, you are somebody, you are somebody. But she was scared because he was serious. He was about to commit suicide right in front of them. She talked him off the ledge and eventually tried to uplift him a little bit more. But her father, I mean, his father was so unmoved by it. He just kept his distance from him. So with this whole new lease on life, because Ariel thought he was going to die. He thought he was dead. So he had a new lease on life. He started focusing on music. And eventually life happened. They ended up having a mutual friend, Ariel and Tilo, by the name of this guy named... James Greer, who was a gospel recording artist at the time. So he had RL on one side saying, I sing, I write, I sing, I write. And then he had Tilo saying, I want to write, I want to sing, I want to write and sing. So he just, it clicks in his mind. Why don't you guys meet each other and become a group? They meet, they sing together, and they love each other immediately. They got together and created a group called Straight Forward with the number four all together. So they wanted to be the next Jodeci and Boys to Men. They thought they had something similar to provide, but with more of a um, gospel influence. So Reverend Greer got with them and then also met with Sounds of Blackness's Anne Nesby, which is my, they created my favorite song, Optimistic. If you know me, Optimistic by the Sounds of Blackness is my favorite song of all time. But they got together, collaborated, and polished the boys and made them more pop ready but as straightforward with the number four there were four members including a guy named shiloh they were working together as a as a quartet but before they got to their producer the boys agreed that shiloh was holding down the harmonies he never really got it and he was just there for looks and if they wanted to take it to the next level they'd have to drop a member and it was shiloh so the producer met with them thinking it was going to be a four group four member group and he was like, well, 
are y'all going to keep the name? And they're like, yeah, we're going to keep the name. He's like, it's four. He's like, so what do you suggest? He looked at him and he was like, well, y'all going to have to find a group name that's going to be on some next level shit. And then RL kind of laughed. He said, well, let's just go by next. And that's how the name came together. (laughs) So they recorded, 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 recorded. And then their demos got to the desk of KG from Naughty by Nature. And he was looking to sign a group. And KG was like, okay, I know who just to to take you guys to. He went to Arista and got with Clive Davis and put together a showcase. They met in the afternoon about six o'clock. They had a contract ready for them. They wanted them. So they got with Clive Davis and immediately worked on their debut album, Rated Next, which hosted my favorite <laughs> next song, Butter Love. I love Butter Love. I love that fucking song. I love everything about it. It's so sexy. It's so it's so 90s. Like it's something about it. And like it's it's stupid at the same time, but it's it's so pretty. It's so nice. It's 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 a bedroom banger. But we, like I said earlier, next year. They released Too Close, which took them to the top of the chart. And Tweet and RL from the group actually wrote the song, which is kind of crazy if you really think about it. Like, who came up with that? (laughs) You're making it hard for me? Like, come on. But one thing I do love about that song, it was about consent. And about him being honest with his partner. And you are dancing too close. I feel a little bump coming through. And you did it. This is you. You did that. What do you want to do with it? So Too Close was a huge hit. They were touring and they were going around the world and they finally made their dreams come true. And tragedy happened for Tweet and Lo. Their sister Latoya was a hemophiliac and she had lost her battle and passed away. And at the funeral, a cousin came up to them and was just like, you know, y'all, I'm praying for y'all. And and man, it's crazy that your sister was your granddaddy's child. Their grandfather impregnated their mother. Like, what the fuck? So you have a number one record. You have the biggest song of that year. And you just found out that your sister is your your grandfather's daughter? That was raping and molesting your mother. They lost it. They they were a shell of themselves. They were just going around touring, 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 but they were numb. But they, of course, went on and they their album went double platinum. But tensions grew between them. There was the siblings and RL and they just could not get along. You have somebody, you're interjecting your point of view to two siblings who are looking out for each other's best interest. And then you have R.L. who is the assumed lead singer. Clash. You know, R.L. is already sensitive. So you have two dudes who had a gutter from the mud. And you have this young sensitive boy. He wanted to be a part of it. And he felt like he never could. So they started teetering on breaking up. So R.L. started looking out for his own self and he got with Genuine, Tyrese, Case. Who else was on that record? It was Genuine, R.L., Tyrese, and Case, I think. And they did the song on the Best Man soundtrack, The Best Man That I Can Be. And then hopped in the studio with Deborah Cox to release one of my favorite songs, We Can't Be Friends. So he started becoming a looker. He was, he was, he was the, that boy. There's a part in that song, actually. 
when he's like, I might just steal a kiss if you come near my face. I, for years, I've been saying, I thought he said, I might just steal the kids if you come near my face. I guess that goes and shows you. And I used to sing that with all of my emotions. I guess that shows you how toxic I am because I would. <laughs> but they swore up and down that they were supportive and it was all about the group. And they had another record to promote, which dropped... In 2000, which was my second favorite song by them, which was written by R.L. Wifey. Cheeky, cheeky. Girl, that's my fucking song. I love that song. That's why you're my wifey. People don't have wifeys anymore, do they? You, You don't have, you don't call your girl my wifey anymore. We need to bring that back. Like, you need to find a wifey, not some bitch or some, get you a female. That's your wifey. But anyway. And it was basically, the song is basically about, like, how you're not my wife. You know, he would be like, he would see dudes out, and they were like, this is wifey right here, this is wife right here. He's like, I don't see a ring. He's like, oh, that's your ghetto wife, your hood wife. (laughs) So he came up with the song. But in that process, they lose Clive Davis. As we all know, Clive left Arista to create J Records. Clive was like, okay, I want to take you guys with me. And in the process... Your late record was released with Arista, but you are joining and merging with J Records. So your record will be promoted by two labels. They were like, cool, that's a bet. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. But but as we all know about the industry, it was not like that. And actually, they were getting called from PDs that they should stop playing Wifey and start playing Pop Your Collar by Usher, who was Arista's artist. So wifey tanked a little bit afterwards so rl was like okay let's just start pushing the momentum for a new record out that was the only single and it only hit from that album let's start working on another record so he met with clive clive was like okay how about we don't i give you more money than you know what to do with put you up in la and do all these things for you get you the best producers if we work on your record Clive offered him so much money and he kind of twisted his arm, quote unquote, and the RL solo train started to leave the station. But but the matter if he told his band members or not is up for interpretation. They swear up and down. He never told them that he was going to go on a solo deal. He thought they thought the timing was really weird. They were at the height of their careers. Why would he want to go? But RL said he went and told them and they get he got their blessing from them. But whether he did or not, the album RL Lament, released in 2002, did not have any charted singles and the album flopped. I remember this album because I remember it was the CD was a picture of him as a kid. I remember that, but I don't remember any songs on it. I don't remember any songs from it. I just remember the pictures of RL because you would remember pictures of RL. <laughs> So, okay, R.L. released his record months after our um, next previous record. And then months after R.L.'s record flopped, they rushed and released their fourth, third album. And it flopped. They didn't have it. only one charting single, and that was their last charting single. And so they kept having issues in the group. Uh, Tweet kept feeling like they were stealing from him. He went and met with a lawyer, and it turns out they were getting splitting 20% between TLO and RL of his earnings of every dime that he got 
and was not dispersing it to him. So they meet with Clive Davis. They're just like, can we, out of frustration, feeling themselves, like, can we just get released from this record? And he was like, yeah, bet. And he released them. So Tweet confronted them about it, about it all. He wouldn't let it go. And he was like, fuck it. I quit. I quit. So Tilo, who gave up everything to support his brother Tweet, is like in the dark, like, why would I shave money from you? Or else, like, I always did 33% on everything. You're lying, blah, 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 blah. So in 2003, after the birth of his first child, Tweet's girlfriend went to court on him about abuse. They settled after court, actually got back together and had another baby, but then she took him to court again. So Tweet had to go and do anger management classes, and he didn't think that he needed to, but he did. And it changed his life. And he thought because he wasn't abusing people with his fist or his hand like his mother did him, that he wasn't abusive. He didn't need anger management. But it turned out that he did, and he realized that all of his issues were coming from his mother's abuse. And eventually, they all got back together and went back on the road. They realized, of course, like we always say, you get more money together than separate. And now they're doing the shows. They were touring as independent artists, but recently they got back together and tried to go to a group, a label out in Atlanta to be signed as a group and their original members. But they were complaining because RL was making it difficult, asking for outlandish money and asking if he could directly make more money than Tweet. He'll share, he wanted to shave Tweet's proceeds from the group. Of course, Tweet and his anger issues piped back up and he threatened to kick his ass when he saw him. He threatened to kick RL's ass. And of course, sensitive RL was like, why would you want to do this to me? You know, blah, blah, blah. We're 30 something. Why would you want to do this? So he, RL walks away from the deal and they have been split ever since. The brothers are now recording music as a duo and RL is going on as RL. And in reality, I don't know how much money you would have gotten, Tweet, if RL wasn't in the group. Like, I feel like even if you had to shave your shavings, you probably, like, shave your assets. Like, I think you probably would have came out a little bit more making money as next. But I get it. You know, it's principle sometimes. But now they're still divided. This isn't a happy... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to let you know that this is doesn't end in a happy note. Except that they're both independent groups and they're making their own money and they're doing their own thing. So... That's the story of Next. <laughs> I love Next, though. I think that they're actually really, really one of the, the most underrated groups in R&B music. And they had such great style and they just couldn't get along. But what do y'all think? Tell me what you think about what's your favorite Next song? What do y'all think about the group? Was it RL and the girls? Was RL in charge? Of, was, he, was he in charge of the girls or what? Let me know. Carmine Davis on Instagram and Twitter and Carmine Davis show on Instagram. Let me know what y'all think, but let's move it on. We're going to pack it up and take it to the relationship and love and sex. I want to let you know that trigger warning, there might be a sexual topic at this point. Last time we talked about, what was it? Menage a trois. 
I like Menage a Trois better than saying threesomes or a group fuck. I think group fuck and threesomes cheapen it. I like to have Menage a Trois. Sometimes Menage a Sanks. I've, I've been in. <laughs> this time we're talking about. So this last 10 minutes I want to discuss with Cosmopolitan.com. Shout out to Cosmopolitan.com. We are <laughs> we're trigger warning again. We're going to discuss something that may be still uncomfortable with a lot of people, which I think is really, really strange. We're going to talk about penis size. And three men on what it's really like to have a small penis. Now, I can't speak from experience, but... Uh, <laughs> But I really want to know, does size matter? And what constitute as a small penis? So this is a Q&A between three men. And I'm going to interject my POV as much as possible. You identify as having a small penis. Well, how big is it? Man A, around five inches. But when it's flaccid, it looks like it's not even there. <laughs> Which is my real hang up. Man B, 4.1 inches when it's erect, 1.6 when it's flaccid. Man C, 3 inches when erect. Now, okay. I've seen my fair share. I'm not going to act dumb. I've seen my fair share of small penises. I consider a small penis anything between 5 inches and smaller. Between And it also, we'll talk about inches, but nobody really discusses girth. If you are 5 inches and you you're not girthy a little bit if you can't really use two hands the average girl's hands on your penis you might have a small one no i'm just kidding (laughs) not two hand i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i'm just kidding but like um this is a really sensitive subject to people but um you can't one hand i consider small two hands is a preference but anyway we go on. When did you realize you were smaller than average? Man A says, I think around once I started watching porn in high school, I concluded that everyone else had much long, longer penis. Wait, on the porn or? Because I know a lot of people in high school who used to watch porn together. Dudes used to jerk off together. That's something else. That's another subject. That's another time. But whatever. He didn't go into detail. Man B in my early teens, when getting changed after swimming class when I was 13, I noticed that the other boys' penises were noticeably larger than mine. Mine looked tiny in comparison. <laughs> I started paying more attention to other penises and quickly realized that I had a small one. That's uncomfortable. Man, see, around 13, seeing other boys in the changing room. This is uncomfortable. Side note. Okay, seeing their larger penises and public hair made me feel inferior. I felt like I needed to hide my genitals in order to avoid being singled out and bullied. I assumed I was just a late developer, but when I did realize, when I did finally get pubic hair when I was 15, my penis seemed to remain the same size. Hmm. Okay. Next question. How did you feel about your penis size growing up? Man A, I was always worried about it being smaller. But I didn't really have any way to know for sure until I got a computer. Man B, I was embarrassed. I would get changed in the locker rooms, back to the locker rooms. Like, what the fuck? I would get changed in the locker rooms, backed into the corner, constantly fearing the... Backed into a corner? Constantly fearing that someone would see my penis and laugh. (laughs) 
Mancy, I was shy about it and wanted it to be bigger. I didn't try to go further than kissing girls because I felt my penis, my small penis would make an object of ridicule, make me an object of ridicule at school and later with work colleagues. Hmm. How do you feel about it now? Man A, I am pretty ambivalent about the size of it now since I've gotten older. I've always managed to have a healthy amount of good sex regardless of size. I know that's right. Man B, I've come to slowly accept that having a small penis is something I can do little about and have to accept. I still don't like getting changed in front of other men and still struggle to admit to having a small penis. However, I don't feel the same complete embarrassment I felt growing up. Man, see, I'm happy with it now as I developed a fetish for humiliation. Ooh. I have a Twitter account about small penis humiliation, a recognized fetish where submissive men with small penises are ridiculed and punished, usually by superior and dominant women or men. The women, the women remain fully clothed. The women remain fully clothed while the men are stripped or feminized with makeup and lingerie and made to masturbate or carry out demeaning tasks such as such as chores or stripper style dance routines. Now there is a fetish that they didn't talk about about cuckolds, 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 cuckolds. You ever heard of it? Well, I won't give you the, if you know, you know. But I find that to be really weird. Not weird. Weird is a strong word. I have to stop saying weird when I mean something else. I find, I'm very curious about it. Um, One, I don't, I don't know how would, I don't know what I would do with a partner with a small penis, like a micro penis, like five inches and six inches is to me perfect, you know? Five are small. Four and a half is like, if it's thick, you know, cool. Let me keep going. Okay. In your experience, does size matter to the people you sleep with? Man A, I think that it definitely does matter to your partner, but you can still please them if you're competent in bed. Okay. Bringing your partner to an orgasm. I also think confidence plays a big part in a good partner. I agree. A lot of poor performance can come from anxiety. That I completely a thousand percent agree with. You could be the largest motherfucker out, largest trunk in the elephant jungle. But if you don't know what to do with it and if you are insecure in a bedroom and you don't know what you're doing, you are not a good fuck, period. Man B. I think it matters more to me than it does to them. However, I have never managed to make a woman orgasm through penetrative sex. When I lost my virginity, I was very scared that my partner would laugh or leave. So I put off sex initially. When we did have sex, though, she didn't say anything. And in our relationship, neither of us brought it up. Shortly after we broke up, I was on her MySpace page and noticed a conversation with her and two of her friends in which they joked about me having a tiny penis. <laughs> I felt shocked and horrible for weeks afterwards. Since then, I've made sure to talk about the issue with my partners rather than pretend the issue isn't there. Mancy, yes, I've had girls look visibly disappointed and tell their friends afterwards. I once went home with a girl from a club who refused to sleep with me when she saw my penis. (laughs) A week later, everybody at the club was talking about how small my penis is. I was distraught at the time, but soon became aroused by the idea of girls laughing at it. Now, this is the man, of course. Man C is the one who is into the humiliation of having a small penis. 
it turns me on to think that these beautiful women know how small my penis is and think it would couldn't satisfy them, especially in a culture where we're told that women desire large penises. In addition to this, when I am in a relationship, I often fantasize about my partner lusting after men with large penises and cuckold. Hi, my favorite cuckold, cuckold, cuckold with large penises and cuckolding me, making me watch them have sex. I love just saying cuckold. I don't know. I don't, I've never participated in a cuckold. I've never, well, I don't know. What is the definition of a cuckold in a gay relationship? I don't know. I, I, I do think that a lot of white gay partners fetish, 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 fetishize about men of color. But we'll talk about that some other time. Uh, when I can get a witness, okay? Like somebody, I'll, I'll talk about it with, I really want to talk about it with my best friend, Sinclair. I haven't brought it up to him yet. I'm trying to figure out how I can pitch it to him, but I feel like we both can give you some really great insights on white men and how they fetishize us, which is crazy to me. But anyway, what about socially among other guys? Cosmopolitan.com continues. Man A says, I'm sure it would matter if I were sleeping with other men, but for the most part, it doesn't come up organically when you're hanging out with the fellas. Man B, I still feel like, feel the need to hide my penis from other guys in locker rooms when she, <laughs> whenever I, what is his obsession with locker rooms? Um, whenever I go to public toilets, I always use the cubicles and not the urinals. I have the prob, I have the problem in that my penis is small whilst erect, but tiny when flaccid. It doesn't seem socially acceptable in male culture to have a small penis. Having a large penis seems manly, whilst having a little one does not. Jokes amongst males are often made about having large penises, and I've joined in through masculine obligation despite being aware of having a very small one. Man C. Again, this is the one who likes humiliation. I don't think it matters much anymore. At school, it was an issue. But other guys, other than the occasional abusive message on Twitter, which doesn't bother me, guys don't really make fun of penis size much more what I see. How does the size of your penis influence the way you have sex? Man A, I am definitely much more eager to perform oral sex before penetrative sex. This stems out of concern that I might not pleasure my partner sufficiently through just intercourse. I feel like you need to be doing it anyway. I don't, I, ladies, stop letting, ladies and gentlemen, stop letting these dudes stick you before they lick you. But, okay. Man B, because the girth of my penis is too small, I prefer sexual positions in which my partner's vagina feels tighter. My favorite is a variation on doggy style in which after I've put my penis inside of her, she closes her legs and I have my legs open. This creates a tighter feeling and gives me more pleasure. I've never managed to make a woman orgasm through penetrative sex, which means I spend a lot of time on foreplay, particularly oral sex. My partner enjoys the fact that I spend so much time with my face between her legs. Okay. When she is on top, she positions herself farther backward than she says she typically would. This means my penis is pushed forward somewhat, which she says helps it goes deeper inside of her and pushes against the front of her vagina more. I've discovered that vibrating cock rings are friends. Hmm. Man C, our favorite so far. <laughs> 
I'm not too experienced, but missionary works okay. Doggy style is okay if she leans back far enough. Girl on top is good for me, but they usually tell me that it doesn't do anything for them. Spooning is is no good. I've been asked a few times, is it in yet? I once <laughs> I once wore a strap on for an ex. It was amazing to see how differently she reacted in something so big in comparison. Okay. I don't want to go further in this. I think we all get the point. Um, what is the normal penis size? We all want to know. Um, well, according to the National Health Service, the average size of a penis is 13 centimeters to 18 centimeters, which translates to five inches to seven inches. So, you know, I think watching porn and dudes in a locker room and all that kind of thing is weird to me. Uh, judging your penis size off of that is weird to me. You're talking about porn, which is, of course, they're going to pick the, it's, it's porn. It's like entertainment. So of course they're going to find the 10 inch or bigger niggas, you know, like they just are, but I don't know. What is the smallest penis that you've ever dealt with? Tweet me. No, don't, don't tweet me. <laughs> Just think about it. I don't even, I don't want to know. Think about it. Was it small to you or was it small technically? Did it fall under the five? Because some of y'all are just fucking around with monsters. I have a best friend who, I don't want to tell too much information about her, but I don't know how you can walk, sister, like at all. I don't know. But that concludes the show. I'm gonna leave you. I'm gonna leave you hanging on that note. <laughs> okay, no, da ding. But no. Uh, <laughs> thank y'all for listening to the show. This is um, the eleventh episode, I think. So thank you guys so much for listening. Again, subscribe, follow, and listen to the show every week. Share it if you get the chance to. And I will see y'all next week. I'm not gonna take too much time from y'all. I love y'all. God bless y'all, and keep your head up. Thank you.